1: no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
2: this is the alien ufo podcast extended episode 96 and i'm your host simon bound My mission here at the Alien UFO podcast is to investigate all things that are part of the wider UFO phenomena. I'm looking at UFO sightings, alien abduction, historic cases and other related events, and I'm starting something new where every Thursday I'll be releasing episodes called UFO encounters, so please check them out. And if you want to hear the extended version of this interview, which is nearly an extra 20 minutes, you'll need to join the Patreon campaign. Well, there are now more than 90 episodes in the back catalogue. For $5 a month, you get an extended episode every week. And for $2 a month, you get an extended episode every month. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. This week, I'm talking to Tina Bird about her book, The Bonded, The Truth About Alien Abduction. Tina has had many ET encounters throughout her life, with her first experience occurring when she was six years old. Hi, Tina. Thanks a lot for coming on the podcast.
3: Thank you very much for having me, Simon. It's a great pleasure to be here today.
2: So we're going to talk about your book. It's called The Bonded, The Truth About Alien Abduction. You had help from David Hodrian. So first of all, could you just tell us who is he? What did he do?
3: When I first came forward, there, there, there was no one. I contacted a policeman by the name of Gary Heseltine, because that's the name kept coming up. And, because I didn't really want to come out. I wanted help. And Gary said, look, you need to make um, an abduction report. Uh, here's this gentleman's number. I didn't even think for a second a policeman would get back to me. I thought he was going to think I was crazy. But he gave me David Hodrian's uh, telephone number. Well, I had on to it for a couple of weeks before I contacted him. And I thought, oh, God, this guy's going to think I'm a nut. And um, things are really bad uh, at the hospital with my partner. So um, I thought, oh, I've got nothing to lose at this point. I contacted him. And he is the chairman of Birmingham UFO Group. Uh, not only is he chairman of Birmingham UFO Group, um, he is um deputy to ISA, International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Contact. And that's a worldwide global thing they go to like the UN, Brazil, they uh, whole hold world conferences with other other people uh, around the globe. Um, because the chair is Gary Time I didn't I didn't realise that at the time. And they go to China and Brazil and talk about it. And um, unbeknownst to me at the time, David Hodron uh, investigated uh, world um, and global um, abduction um, claims and cases and investigated them. And when I say he investigated them, it was like a three year long investigation. And that included telephone calls, um, interviews with him. Uh, hours and hours of telephones messages drawings pictures photograph medical documents from the hospital evidence it was like a proper full-on investigation it's like being cross-examined but I can understand that to a point you know they they run like different groups that are uh, people doing different university degrees that I, I agreed for them to share the information with any medical stuff I shared all my medical stuff with him and so he fully investigated. He asked other people within um, uh, ufology, and um, I met quite a few of those people. And, um, yeah, and he was um, – it wasn't until the end of my report and um, meetings and pictures and evidence, he said, Tina, your case matches so many others. And so he goes, and you have more – because this is one of the biggest, if not the biggest case I've investigated in the U.K., Uh, So he is uh, an um, abduction um, uh, investigator for Birmingham UFO Group. And like I said, he's also chairman and he runs a lot of other things in his spare time. He's got like the UFO wave game. He created that. And um, yeah, he does his travels and he does his research. Very intelligent gentleman. So uh, he uh, said, Tina, look, you need to write a book. He said, where do you want to go with this? I said, well, actually, I said, I'd rather... um, Because he said, would you do a lecture with me? I said, what do I talk about? He said, just talk about what's happened to you. And I spoke about it. More and more people like came forward and said, Tina, could you help us? Where do we go? I'm like, there's nothing in Britain. So David said "Look, you know, and I'm like, well, actually, what I'd like to say and come across is where is the help for um, just normal, everyday people like me? And it just went from there. So David um, investigated it. We're very good friends today. Um, still years later, and he's introduced me to many um, abductees and he held one of the biggest um, meetings in Birmingham uh, face-to-face. It was a closed meeting with me and a load of other um, abductees whose cases had been um, like professionally investigated, you know. And um, yeah, uh, so it went really well and I met other people and one woman uh, he introduced me to, we were sat there and he was talking about my case, he'd just spoken about other people. This woman just started to like cry and shake. And we all stopped. So like, Are you okay? She said, I can't believe those pictures you've just drawn or what I've just seen. She said, the exactly same thing happened to me. And she pulled up her leg on her trousers and she had exactly the same holes in her leg that I had in mine, the same size, the same depth apart, the same color and in the same place on her leg as it was on mine. So, yeah, David's been a big part of um, our ufology and helping abductees.
2: It's just amazing that this may be going on all around us. There's so many people. Nobody talks about it. Everybody must be so worried that, you know, if they talk, then people will just think they're crazy.
3: Well, this is it. That, that's why I think when you're younger, you don't realise what is really going on to you and it kind of melts away. People say, why didn't you come out? I, I, you know, well, I watched TV when I was a kid and I was brought up what, around, you know, I was out on, you know, used to ride my bike, you know, go to school, you know, do everything that kids did in that. And, and you hear them and you watch telly and you hear them at school laughing and joking. You, you, you know, you put it behind you, life moves on, you don't want to be ostracized. So I never, never said it a word. And I always hoped, I didn't think, I always thought the last time would be the last time. I didn't ever think this would, you know, not a lot known what it was about back then. You know, I'll just think, you know. It wasn't until you're older you realise it is an absolute nightmare and you, you don't tell no you, because you don't want to believe it's true and you don't want to think it's really happening. It's not till you go for an x-ray or a scan like I did. Also, uh, Just as I got married to my first husband, um, I had a ruptured ectopic pregnancy and I didn't realise that I was a negative blood group. And I went in to have this um, surgery, and when I came out of this emergent surgery, I had three three doctors there, three surgeons that questioned me relentlessly about had I been abroad, had I been an organ donor, had I had things removed, what countries had I been in, um, you know, things like that, had I had harvesting done in my body or anything like that. And I'm like, no, 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 I never had an operation in my life. I didn't realise that I was allergic to anaesthetic then until I had a ruptopine and they had to o- operate in an emergency. And it wasn't until later on after when I had my hysterectomy that they even there was a lot i I've applied to the um hospital and the surgeons through a solicitor, and it's been gone an ongoing battle to get my CCTV from my one of my last operations I had, um, which um they came out and after there was many surgeons and anaesthetists in the room. There was uh, there was many. And they come out and said that, and it's even on my discharge medical notes that state my pelvis has been completely obliterated from right to left with thousands of needle marks. That's like someone stabbed me thousands of times with needles across both my pelvises. So, um, and that's a lifelong issue. That is a side effect from being abducted. You're being tortured, bits of me's been dr- drilled out for For whatever purpose. And I've got to live with that against my consent for the rest of my life in pain. I don't get painkillers. I've still got to go to work. No one's reimbursed me when I walk about in agony at work um, or when I come home and when I can't sleep. Every time I turn over, I wake up in pain. That's, you know, who's helping me then? Not certainly not the government.
2: Yeah. And what about that other weird experience you had in hospital where? There was a nurse that took some blood samples, and the doctor. No,
3: yeah, that was recently, Well, last few, only a few years ago. Um, um what it was is you. Think, you do think. I mean, I'm over fifty. I'm fifty-two now, so you think once you're over that childbearing age or whatever they want, that they'd leave you alone. It doesn't work like that. And um, there's no one running to my eventual stopping it. I was I was at my mum's house, and my mum hadn't been too well, and it was come up for Mother's Day, and. Um, It was the night before Mother's Day a few years ago, and I was staying at our house. I was upstairs in bed to sleep. And um, I, right, so I thought I'd never seen other human, I'd never seen human beings walking about working with these um, creatures or anything like that. Um, I've seen hundreds of people up there all awake but asleep. I have seen hundreds of other human beings up there. But like me, they're all like awake but asleep. But this time, um, I was um, I was kind of not sure if I, I was. When they take you, it's um, you can't move, you can't speak, you can only look through your eyes, just like watching a film, like a numb film. You don't know if you're hot or you're cold. You can't blink. You can only look. You can't think, and um, so you could just see, and. Um, I don't even think really you can hear. I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's weird. It's it's hard to explain. So I, uh, so I see white flash. That was it. And next thing I know, I'm like, I think, I presume I'm stood up or I'm uh, restrained against some type of, I don't know, cage wall. I can't see behind me because I'm only looking forward, so I can't even see down my body. And then I see this, like, dentist chair in this room. Like I see, it, it was like a room. It wasn't like something you see in a living room. It was like some type of surgical laboratory kind of room and um my mum was laid there and she looked dead and I couldn't panic or anything all I could do was watch and two men came in the room now the door didn't open like a normal door it kind of went like a tent door if that makes any sense you know like the way the old-fashioned tents used to flap over it kind of looked like that and they came in and I, I recognized an accent there like they sounded american because my sister-in-law's um from america they sounded american but not quite the same and um they were both wearing jelly like gel pig's masks so they couldn't be identified and uh, one bloke, this is going to sound really crazy he had like a pair of shorts on and uh, like a t- uh, like a um, like a vest I woke best thing with his pig's mouth on. And uh, he went over, and they were talk- talking for a second. He went over and I picked up my mum's hand, and I was like, I couldn't be frantic. I couldn't show anger, emotion, or shout him. I just wanted him to move away from my mum. I wanted him to get away from my mum. I didn't know what he was doing. Where are my mum? My mum's in her 70s. So I was extremely worried for her. She was, on- and she was out of it. And he was holding her hand and whispering in her ear, and this other gentleman with him was a bit taller. He had brown, uh, like a mule skin, brown trousers on with a pair of brown loafers and like a white T-shirt and a pig's mask, different pig mask, this other bloke. And um, and I could see him come over and he kind of looked at me and he wasn't sure. And uh, he turned round to, I'm not sure if he spoke to the other gentleman because a couple of things happened at once. And I kind of met in the middle of the room and all of a sudden the door the door went again. And in what I've never seen a female, this is the first ever time I've seen a female one. And when I want to say normally it's a male presence. When you when you see you you know if they're male or female, there's no genitals or anything like that. It gets like a male presence. It's like I'm talking to you, I know I can hear that you're male, and you get a male presence. But this thing was female, they're very slightly smaller, only just smaller. Uh not very much smaller, but there is a slight difference. There is a s she looked a little bit more white. I don't know why people call them greys, these little jelly baby ones, they look kind of glow and white. And um she came in, she had a like a silver tray or some type of metal tray in her hand. She was carrying it. I had like a about a foot what it looked to be about a foot long like crystal, yellow crystal uh like fork thing on it. And he picked it up and I just so you you can get into their link and talk to them. Um, if they directly, you know, when they look over you, and people say, "Well, they, they, they you know, they try to frighten me," they look over me. They don't, they're not trying to frighten you when they look over you. They, they look, they're close to your face and your eyes to see if you can talk to them. And the second that she kind of looked at me and made contact, I thought she wasn't happy. She, I think she knew what was going on. She didn't say anything, but she, I could tell she was not happy with what was going on or what was about to happen. And He picked up this thing from a tray. He didn't even look at her. He just missed her with a, like a wave of his hand. She then walked backwards and I could tell she, she was not happy. And they came over to me and I think the other one said something to him and I think they could tell that I was awake and he kind of stabbed me in the head, hit me in the, like the forehead with his fork and um, I kind of blacked out for a second and it didn't work. And then um, and he looked at the fork, must have said something to the guy um, as if to say, you know, look, believe now it didn't go to work and um I can't remember if they'd give me a jab then he puts something in my arm and they come over and did it again and that's the last thing i remember and when I woke up didn't really think of it once I went downstairs and um I was my mum had a hallway in the uh, computer in the hallway it's like a very large reception hallway at the time and I was just putting up some Mother's Day bits and pieces for I'm laying some cards out on a little table thing and putting some presents out. And my mum started to come down the stairs. And I said, oh, happy Mother's Day, mum. Are you all right? She said, oh, my God. She said, "I oh, a terrible night. I said, oh, are you all right? She said, I dreamt an old friend was holding my hand and talking to me. She wouldn't stop talking to me in my ear. She said, look, my hand's so red. She was touching my hand and it felt ice cold. And I nearly died. I thought, oh, my God, that's what was happening last night. And then she said, oh, my God, what have you done to yourself? What have you done to yourself? So, what do you mean? And it wasn't until I turned and I had like um, a vest, like Nike and shorts on, trousers on, and um, there's this red lump on my arm. You could see it looked like a little mini pyramid. And I said, oh, I don't know what I've done. She said, have you hurt yourself? Have you hurt yourself? Anyway, the day went on and I didn't feel too good. A couple of hours had passed, not even that, and I started coughing. Didn't feel too good. And I collapsed upstairs in the bathroom and um, I think my mum and my partner or my mum and my niece phoned in ambulance and they came. And all I remember, I think I was getting changed or I was naked in the bathroom. I can't remember what was going on. And all I remember was this ambulance man and woman that st- like stood above me. They were trying to talk to me and I couldn't like kind of speak. I was having trouble coming round. And um, I saw them, they had the... Um, like the paddle things they were a like lot above me they were trying to talk to me I wasn't taking it in in any way my mum I think there was three or four people that was there they wound up calling um, about two or three ambulances I think because they tried to use the paddle things on me and their machine wouldn't work and then uh, they couldn't figure out what was going on so they called another ambulance who to get charge on their resuscitation machine who came in and I think they brought me around and tried to get me to sit up or stand up and I, they couldn't do it or I'd collapsed again I think by then, the third ambulance had arrived, you know, and they were there and they managed to get me because when they put me in the first ambulance, none of their equipment worked. So I think I went in the third ambulance and they took me off. I'm not sure someone came with me. I don't really remember. Or my mum went in or they came in the car behind me. Anyway, but I do remember being um, in Southampton General Hospital in a resuscitation unit. There's a little room next to it. And um, where they brought me around, I was I was in there and they'd um, – there had been nurses and doctors in um they weren't sure what was wrong with me um it was just after covid so or during or just start okay I can't remember if it was just after or just starting and they were you know they tested me for everything I had a fever i had been vomiting they didn't know what was going on all my things were off the charts they were really concerned so I had this heart monitor on it in this resuscitation room and my mum and my partner were both in there and um I just be my doctor, she was very good. And um she came in, talked to me, she took some blood, she come back, she said, Look, Tina, we're gonna send you for um uh, like an MRI scan. She said, We need to find out this is very serious, what, what's going on? And um I had this scan and when I came back, she said, Oh, we think we're not sure we think you've had a stroke, you've got a huge part and there's a sack in the brain that's supposed to have fluid in it, you don't have any fluid in it. So we're not sure how this has happened. We spoke to the stroke people, they completely dumbfounded they're not quite sure what was going on um and then, and then all of a sudden while she was talking to me in this room with my partner I know they've got cctv up everywhere especially in a resuscitation area and there's a camera literally just up the door um where they take the um serious crash victims and um in walks this woman with a um it looked like i thought for a second i thought i was seeing things like a bright yellow fisherman suit one. she had like yellow boots on, like a yellow full mask on, and like a yellow um, thing with gloves on. And the doctor says, what, and ask her? And what are you doing? She didn't even really respond to the doctor. But she grabbed my arm, pulled my arm. She said, who's ordered this? I- I'm in charge of this lady. I'm her GP. She goes, we've got to take the blood again. She said, well, we've just taken a second lot of blood and sent it off. She said, who are you? I've not authorised this, and I'm her doctor. Literally, this woman pulled my arm. I couldn't even fight if I wanted to. I felt so weak. Just didn't even wipe my arm. She just jabbed this needle in me. She pulled out as much blood as she could. The doctor would walk around the bed to grab this woman. Like This woman shirked backwards and ran out the room with this blood. It's because the doctor said, I'll be back in a minute. I'll find out what's going on. Anyway, the doctor went off. She asked me if I was all right. The nurse came in, put a, um, a bit of tape and a bit of cotton wool on my arm. And my mum was talking to me. I wasn't really with it. And I was on a strip. And I did feel really weak. I did not feel with it at all. I couldn't figure out what happened. I was just hot. I remember I was a bit sat up and not, I couldn't, I want to say it was an hour later, half an hour later or an hour later, I'm not quite sure how much time had gone by. Um, I couldn't see a clock all, I could just see were these doors in front of me and my mum and my partner was stood right next to my bed holding my hand.
1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at
0: chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
3: Nice thing I know, my doctor came in to talk to me again. As She was talking to my partner. and I'm not sure what, what, what she was doing, like feeling my tummy or what have you. And then, uh, or having a look at my chest, listening to my chest again. Or she was putting a heart monitor on me. She was doing something. In walks this woman, again, with the same yellow suit on, same woman with this other woman. Uh, She looked a little bit Asian, I think. She had like a a navy blue jumper on and and blue or black trousers. And she looked like a porter. None of them had ID on. And she took the brakes off my bed. The doctor said, you? where are you taking my patient? My patient is not discharged from any, she said um literally she said oh no we've got to take her to isolation straight away now we're taking to she goes i haven't approved that she said i haven't had the second of blood results back yet she said no we've got to take her to isolation we, we're taking her to ward she said what ward she said there is no beds available this is a and e she said this lady has to stay in the resuscitation unit." No, she said we, we've got to take her she said there is no beds available i want to know who you are and why you're taking my patient at this time the doctor was physically laid across, laid across me on the bed, said you're not taking my patient. Everybody else I could hear, and it was certainly on the CCTV. My mum and my partner were stood there looking at each other. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what was going on. And I couldn't even ask a question. I couldn't even fight it off. I could just see my doctor. I think she was trying to protect me laid across me. Well, this woman just kept going, she was pulling the bed and the other one was pushing it, and literally my doctor like jumped off at the door. And I didn't see my mum. I'm not sure if my mum and my partner could follow because I couldn't turn around. They took me through. I don't. We never went in a lift anywhere. They took me like through the hospital a couple of bits and into this um, room. Um, uh, and it was like a small open day ward. You could see like other people. And there was like three or four rooms together all with doors and windows on with blinds on. And they all had like yellow signs outside. They wheeled me in there and just shut the door and um, uh, I was in there I don't know how long I was in there um, it could have been a couple of hours just, I was in and out going to sleep they came in I put the strip up I had drip um, it was um, th- this woman said it was an antibiotic drip um, I tried to look up um, and see it I had two two drips antibiotic one in it and like a fluid drip and um I don't, all I remember is like going off to sleep, and uh, when I wake up, I, I think it was nighttime, but the machine was beeping, and blood had gone back up the up, up the um, the line up into the bag, and you could see my blood was gathering in the bag. And I looked around, tried to find a buzzer. I got hold of a buzzer, and I'll I'll just, I'll just this buzzer was going for ages, and then someone came in. And a nurse ran over and she was screaming and she shut the door. She said, You're not you're not to go in there. You've got to oh you've got to wear protective equipment. You cannot go in that room. And I could hear her arguing. She goes, Well, she needs help. The alarm's going off. Anyway, but five or five six minutes passed, and this nurse came back in with all this PPE gear on. And she said, What's the matter, Tina? I said, I am thirsty. I need to go to the toilet. i I don't know what's going on. She said, Um, I'll change your your bag. Let me because my notes were on the end of the bed they weren't outside the room everything was inside the room should I go and bring you in a um commode she said are you okay to stand I said yeah she said because there wasn't a toilet in there it was just a room it was a room with a sink there was no toilet no nothing in there there was a painting on the wall um I don't even think there was curtains around the bed because all was there no there wasn't even curtains around the bed because there was a like okay, blind on the um blind on the um, door and on the window this observation window. So this nurse went off and she come back. She said, Oh, we're just going to take some blood. She took some blood and put it in vials and left it by the sink. I thought, why didn't she taking it with them anyway? Oh, too busy. I I'd, I'd went to the toilet and pushed the buzzer and she came back in and turned the buzzer off and took the buzzer off of me. She said, oh, well, I'm not allowed to take it. It has to stay in here and someone would be along later to empty it. Um, and then I went off to sleep when I came back in there was a nurse in my room she must have crept in so quietly. she changed my IV and it was another bag, looked like another bag of antibiotic. And I was in there two or three days. None of my family weren't allowed in there. I never left the room. Um, anything they brought into me, they never took out of the room. Even uh, so, the three days of that the um, the um, thingy being used uh, was still in there. And um, I think on the last morning, um, this doctor came in. It must have been about four, five o'clock in the morning. There was no 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 one on 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 the um. Uh on no one on the ward. There's hardly any patients that I could uh, I could see on the ward. I think there was there must have been someone in the room because I'd had room either next to me or just across, but I couldn't see because I, I was on the end. Uh so I could just see a bit of a wall and in, in, in a tiny bit of the wall. I couldn't see anything really. And um this doctor came in, opened the door. He didn't have any PP on, nothing. He just had a white coat on, no ID. Um, and uh his black gentleman came in and he said, Dole um i've been asked to come down and see you Tina. he said um you, you you everything's fine now he said we had your last lot of bloods back i thought they're still sat over there because they were taking blood and leaving them by the sink uh and he said oh uh everything's fine oh and um you can go home today Um uh, uh yeah that's it she said the, the nurse will be along in a minute I'll give you some breakfast she said and you can you, you can go home and you'll be fine And um, that was it. I went to ask him what was wrong. He didn't really answer my question. He just said the anti-box had had, had cured me and I was okay. And then so I thought, well, right. I got up and um, tried to get to the sink. I couldn't quite make it to sink because I was still hooked up to this machine and I couldn't open the thingy. Anyway, this nurse came in. I was on the buzzer. I could hear nurses come out. It must have been about an hour, hour and a half later. And this nurse came in, you know, knocked the door. And she came in with all the get up on, and and I said, oh, I'm going home today. Can you take my drip out? She said, Tina, who who's told you? I said, well, the doctor's come in. He's just charged me. He said, oh, you know, I want to go. I'm free to go. She said, Tina, the doctors don't do their rounds till after seven o'clock. I said, no, a doctor was in here an hour and a half ago. About an hour ago, an hour and a half ago. He said that I could go home, and I was fine, and they was going to write me a prescription. She said, the gentleman you've just described doesn't even work here. I've never seen anyone like that. And she thought I was hallucinating. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going home. Well, an hour or two passed, a couple of hours had passed, and um, there wasn't a doctor on the ward, and I kept buzzing. And it had to go, uh, it must have been a good four or five hours there, to get a, a doctor that did not know me from another ward. Um, he said, "Look, I don't know who you are." He said, "I've been handed this file, I've been asked to come in and discharge you." He said, "Normally, we only discharge patients we know." He said, "But I've been told to come down here and discharge you." I said, "What's wrong with me? What you know? Why? Why the doctor Smalling?" He said, it's not on the records that you saw any doctor." He said, um, "I'm going to discharge you now, even though I don't know why I'm signing this because I don't know who you are, or what you've been in for." And um, he said, "All I know that if you suffered." Um, migraines and you've been in here for three days with migraines. I, I didn't realise it'd been three days. And um he's like, yeah, you can go home in a few hours. By then it was like four o'clock in the afternoon and then I had to wait for medication. A nurse came in the room, took all my notes, all the samples, all everything from the toilet, all in one go. She put everything together like in bags and everything, put it all on top of this potty thing with drip and everything, walked out the room. She took everything with that. And um, I got a discharge letter to say that I basically I was in the hospital and they discharged me for migraine. I thought, well, they don't put you in quarantine for three days. Don't, like, kind of want to feed you. Don't leave you in a, with the same potty in the room for three days. Lock your room. Don't let anyone give you and give you three like, two or three lots of antibiotics and IVs for three days for migraine, do they? And um, so, you know. But I did feel better. I didn't have any more heart episodes. My hot, you know, all my hotness went away. My flushing stopped. And it wasn't until about a year or two later, I, I spoke to Russ Kellett and he interviewed me. And he said, Tina, exactly the same thing happened to me in a local hospital where he was. Same thing. Isolation for three days, told he'd had a migraine release with this and different doctors. So I'm not the only one that that's actually happened to. So that's what uh, happened to me.
2: That's so bizarre, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. like the, the people that seem like they shouldn't be there, they, mm-hmm. they knew what was wrong with you and they knew how to treat it, but it was something they couldn't talk about.
3: Yeah. So I, I've asked for that CCT footage um, under the Freedom of Information Act because it's recorded. So because it's in A&E, every, everyone that works there have to, has to give their permission to say it can be recorded because it's recorded information and patients as well. Because if you were a patient and you went into AE and something happened, they'd review that um, footage. So, but apparently, somebody hasn't agreed to release that footage. I thought, well, everyone has to agree if they're being recorded. That's the only reason I can't get hold of that footage, but I'm fighting it. I'm not leaving it there.
2: I, I've got so many more questions. Go for it. If we move on from there, it, it's the one where you have the chapter, is called The Conveyor Belt. Yeah. And that seems so strange. I, I've heard about people sort of kind of being taken into a huge, almost like a warehouse. And there's all these humans on beds or on those tables, but I haven't heard about a conveyor
3: belt. Well, what it is though, they can either take you for a couple of days in a row, or they don't take you for years. And it was like a one-off. I think this is one of that that times that they took me for a couple of days. Now I was a lot older. I wasn't, I wasn't young. So this has been the last 10 or 20 years of my life. Now, the one that knows me was there, so I explained. I saw a flash. I was in bed, went to bed as normal. Everything was fine. I saw this massive flash of light, and then um I want to say I woke up, but I didn't. It's like coming too, but it was so bright. It's like someone flashing a huge like torch in your Face, like a searchlight, and it was so bright I couldn't close my eyes. I couldn't look it. I just couldn't look. It was awful. I couldn't see. So everything looked bright white, and then all of a sudden I got the like a feeling um I I didn't realize because you can't feel when they take you whatever they see that's I've learned that they subdue humans with a frequency of light with a pheromone in it now they told me that so when I didn't realize that I was hung up either so my first light went to bed wake up bright flash light and there's this white light bright white light in my face it wasn't till. I think I moved to the left. I didn't know how I moved. I didn't realise that I moved. I just realised the light was a lot less duller. And then it happened again. And then I realised, I didn't still realise at the time that I was like 12 to 16 feet off the floor. I didn't know that. All I could see was forward. I couldn't see sideways. I couldn't see the other people then. So I didn't realise that there was even other people up there. Now, this um, thing looked like a giant searchlight, like a giant searchlight. It was huge. And it seemed to be on some type of little scaffolding, and it, the scaffolding looked black, uh, and the little beams I could see movement, but it looked black. But I, 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 but I only thought it was because the light was so bright, white light. It was like shadows; I couldn't distinguish it. And then, um, then I could, my vision kind of cleared, and then I realised I was being moved to the left very slowly. And then this, uh, I could see that this like, black box being held down in front of this white light. And then then I'd got a distinct view that I was being pulled to the left. And then as I was pulled to the left, um, I could see this huge, um, I could see, like, down. Like, I was up in the air looking down. I didn't realise I was up in the air. It was like, it was like you were on a higher gallery looking down. And then that's when I could see all these little beams and all these panels and they were all working together, and there was like a concourse bit up the middle, like a split room, and um, and they, you could see like the um, little consoles they were working at were facing away from me and on the side, but you could see little lights that were flashing on their white skin. It was reflecting, so you could see something was going on, and they were all seemed to be working away, and I saw a couple of other different beings at the back that were very like, large, bulbous heads, like they looked then I got the feeling they were very old and they were at the back on, on the on the left. And um it wasn't till I like clock, the one that knows me. Now when these creatures get to know you or they or they just the same ones that repeatedly take you, you you get to know when they're close to you. You that's the point and you stop seeing out of your eyes and you see in your head and then you make a connection. So what I call like the gray link or the link is like like, like a grey Wi-Fi mist in your head. So when they're close to me, I'll stop seeing that my eyes and I can it's like a scent in your head and you recognise it. It's like a grey mist. Now, it's different on each ship they take you on or each each place they take you. It's like a different frequency or a different smell. And it works both ways. Once you're in that link, they can hear you listening. It's like a two-way mirror. Now, they can either block you, which they can do, which which is, it is like a different frequency again, or you can have one-to-one, like you'll just link to the one that knows you or you you actually in the, in the, like link with all the like link looking back at you, but I've never linked with the little ones apart from once. They don't they don't talk to you they don't like doing it. But the one that knows me was there, and uh, I'm not sure what he did, but I started looking at my eyes, and as I looked at my eyes, I could see the three little ones, the little jelly baby white ones, that physically stopped what they were doing and turned to look at him. Now he was looking at me, so he'd obviously stopped communicating with them, and they were physically looking at me. This thing moved to the left again, and that's when I saw hundreds and hundreds of other people. As it too turned to the left, it, I didn't realise it was like a um, like a uh, uh, like a coat hanger kind of uh, thing we were on, and as it turned slightly to the left, mine must have been at an angle, it was like a S shape or a hairpin bend shape, and this. Um, then that's when I realised, I, I saw something out of my, heart, caught my eye, because I can't move your head, don't forget. So as I moved, the, this thing moved to me, both sides. And as I moved, that's when I saw the hundreds of other people to my right. I mean, hundreds of them. They were all awake but asleep, all with their clothes on, and, a, and the guy right directly next to me. Um, but I couldn't see his face at the angles. Like, I could only see the side of his face. It was like brown, short-cut hair, and like white skin. He had like a, like a, a silvery kind of uh, suit on, I think and uh, late 30s, probably mid-40s, I'm not quite sure, couldn't really tell. As he turned and I turned and I saw them all, and then it kind of stopped again. The one that knows me um, was, now he was observing me, he was going to see what I could do, but I couldn't move, and I think it was the little ones that alerted everyone around him because once you say something in the link, the little ones are obviously in a link with them, everyone stopped what they were doing, In this one, like the, the table or... or computer thing wherever they were at this little thing behind him i literally jumped up from what he was doing he panicked and freaked out this thing was so fast he was so fast he was up down run straight down this um courseway right between where the little ones were and he jumped off the floor it was so quick and he reached up and he either hit me in the head with something or he touched me with his finger in the middle of my head and all i could see from that point on was like uh, like a giant black spider. He put an image of a spider in my head and all my memories seemed to like trying to melt away and I was just trying to think, remember this, remember this, remember this, remember this and, and that was it. But just as before he did that, I think he was trying to tell him that he was observing me and that I was from an old, old line that wasn't here on Earth anymore. But you know, it was all in the confusion and, and that's what happened.
2: It's so weird that they say you were from an old line and you had the ability to connect to them. Yeah. So, like saying people from the new line don't have the ability.
3: I don't know, but that's, that's, that's the gist of what I've got. That was it. And all I remember is the next couple of days I had a tingling in my head, like a numbness tingling on my forehead where he touched me. And that was it.
2: So you talk about this ET that knows you. From What I get from the book is that ET is there to comfort you. It's almost, don't worry, I'm with you. You'll be all right.
3: Is that how it is? So Yes and no. I don't know how it works. I'm not. Um, I'm not sexually attracted to him. I don't love him. Um, if you put him in a, a lineup with a, a few others of his shape and size, you, you couldn't pick him out. Um, but when I see him or I, he's close to me. I know him. It's like a smell, but like a scent in your head. So you just suppose you went to your Auntie Pat's house, and each time you went there, you could smell baked buns. She was cooking baked buns. So uh, if you were at a party and you could smell baked buns, you knew that your Auntie Pat was stood behind you. It was a bit like that. It's a bit like a member of the family. You like you don't have to know you'd be told who your nan or your auntie is because you've seen him all your life. You're not afraid of him, you're not frightened of him and when they come into your house, you're happy to see them. Um, it's something like that. that's all I can explain. And it wasn't really till I was older um, that I even realized who he was. He, he, and it's um we it used to be at first, when I, when they take you. And this wasn't something I learned until later on. When they take you or put you back, you have to be like in a calmed state or subdued state. Now, they sub- subdue you with, uh, with light and a ferramine. Now, I've either, they've either used it too much on me and it doesn't work like it should. Or because I'm um, oresis negative, a lot of things don't even work on me. I even a lot of problems with morphines and things like that that don't work. You have to have the thingy in your blood to make it work. Um and so I've had a few operations awake, and whatever they do, that that stuff doesn't really work on me. Um, so i laid down on this this bench when I come round. You know, you, people say you wake up, you don't. You just open your eyes, and it's kind of blurry for a couple of seconds. You can't move, and you're just, just like you're on record. And um, I'm not sure what was going on, but um, I could sense I could. I was awake. I was looking up, I couldn't look down, I couldn't blink my eyes, I couldn't do nothing, and, and there must have been a few of them because I can hear when one of them approaches, not physically here, like um, it's like a grey mist that comes in and covers your head. So um, when they're close to you, it's like earwigging, if you know what I mean. So you could hear someone, but they can't hear or see you, but you can hear them. But the closer you get to that door or wherever they are, the more you can hear. Yeah. So it's a bit like the closer they are to me, I can hear their grey. You know the 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 grey Wi-Fi link. Now they must have realised that I was awake and panicking because I can think. Normally you can't think; you're just on on record. You know you can't. You, your brain's numb. And it was like, oh my god, what's going on here? And and I, you know, I was, I was trying to come out of whatever they'd done to me or whatever they're about to do to me. It wasn't working. And all I know is I saw this thing. This thing leant over me like a dentist does. You know, like if you've been laying on a dentist chair and he's going to come over and talk to you and you're you lay down flat and they're going to drink teeth. And they look over you just to tap you on the shoulder and say, You're right. It was that kind of look. It didn't speak. I've never seen it speak. I've never seen it move its mouth. Um, and what happens is this, I, I must have felt scared or didn't know what was going on. Now they can't control you if you're upset. They don't like our behavior. I learned that. They don't like our behavior and they don't like it. Because you could these things are small and they're so thin. I mean, I could easily overcome a ship. You know, if they didn't sedate me, I could grab a couple of little buggers. I know they're (laughs) faster than that, but I could easily um, um, overcome them. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, you know, you wouldn't need an army to do it. You'd one person. You could easily take down one ship from the inside. You could easily overcome them. No problem. I think that's why they subdue you. It's like being in a room with a dinosaur, you know, or a bear. You're going to take its cub. You, You don't want that thing running around after you, do you? So I think that's why they sedate you. But he came over. And all I've got from him is a male presence, And he looked at me as if to say, I'm here. It's okay. Don't worry. And then everything I was feeling um, went away. I felt calm. I felt like I was doing like my mum and dad had walked into the room or I was waiting for an ice cream or TV programme to start. Um, so that's the best I could do. It's all the calmness. I wasn't worried about anything. I didn't feel love. I didn't feel threatened. I just felt relaxed. And, um, yeah, it's like when you say easy to a horse to calm it down kind of thing.
1: That's chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Yeah, yeah. Almost he's been assigned to you, or you've been assigned to him, and whenever you're yeah. picked up, they arrange that he's there to calm you down.
3: Yeah. But um, yeah, so there's other things I learned in the link when when you're in there, but it's it's knowing to how to do it. But yeah, so that's so that's really um, uh, it. Wasn't till really that pivotal moment for me because. Any other time when you're numb, people say, why didn't you ask questions? Why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do that? You can't. You can't move. You can't. So the difference, people say, um, oh, it's sleep paralysis. I actually had an episode of sleep paralysis. My father got killed. I was when I was a teenager. And it was horrendous. And I actually had one episode, and I would never wish that on anybody. But the difference between sleep paralysis and being abducted is with sleep paralysis, your vision is blurred. It doesn't really recover. You get a strange, different presence in the room, but most of all, you panic and hyperventilate because you think you you panic because you can't breathe. You know you can't breathe, and you're panicking. Um, when you're taken, it's completely different. I see that creature as clear as I'm looking at this, this podcast sign on the mod computer screen. Literally, I could have reached out and touched it or grabbed it with my hand. It's that close, and I'm physically clearly looking at it. And you don't know that you can't breathe. You don't know that you're not even breathing. You don't know that you are breathing. You feel nothing. So um, but it wasn't until I think that whatever it was had started to wear off and I could feel panic, like my body was either reacting. Now, they also, when they're with you or in your, they're in your link, they can see everything going on with you. So they can see like your heart rate, your pheromone, your hormone level, such so like a digital copy, a readout of you um in their link so if you're upset they know you're upset and they they pull you out because they can't control you once your anger or adrenaline kicks in they're they're absolutely knackered there's nothing they can do about it so it's little things like that you pick up along the way
2: there was a time wasn't there when you were allowed to walk that they switched off this thing that paralyzes you yeah and you saw there were these weird pods there and there was a a little gray that tried to block you
3: yeah yeah well well what it is right so this was one of those days when i was taking you two or three days in a row which was very rare Which was very rare it did it did happen and this particular occasion I, I went to bed normally um you get you feel very very alert you wake up and you feel very alert this this time didn't happen to me when well, i went to bed as normal i didn't have any of that next thing i know um I'm wide awake and there's a bright white light above me and it, it hurts your eyes because, you, you you know, you can't you can't turn your head or refocus your eyes or blink. And um, and then this thing, um, and I was laid there uh, flat and I don't like being laid flat. I absolutely hate it. And um, next thing I know, the one that knows me, Luke came over and he was to my left and he kind of looked at me as if to say, you know, I'm here, it's okay, what's wrong kind of thing. And um, whatever they wanted to do, he said, um, now this is the first time I ever had to give consent. They never asked me to give consent before, never. And so I'm not sure if they see it as a type of agreement. It's not a verbal agreement. So it went along the lines of, um, if you agree to behave, I will sit you up. So it was like, if you give something, I'll give something. It's a trust basis. That's the message. So I had to agree. They know I don't like being laid down. I, I you know, I, I absolutely hate it. So he sat me up at a thirty degree, look, like a thirty degree angle, and I was there. The light was off me a bit, and I, and I could just look, just like I could see down my bed. I could see my surroundings a little bit more. Didn't feel so groggy. I, you know, I could clearly see now, and I was sat up, and it seemed to be a huge, huge room. There's about, I want to say, I could see to my to my right probably a big group of them, at least uh, eight to 11 initially, the little ones. Um, there was something else going off just further to my right, nearer my shoulder, which I couldn't see cause at this time I could just see forwards. And I could see I was naked, but I had this kind of rag on. I'm not quite sure. It was like a it was like a rag, just covered just above the top of my breast and just above my knees. It was like a rag just like, kind of placed over me. Um, I couldn't tell you what the material was. It was just like a rag. And then, um, he's, then he said, and then, it, like, I could just say, so he was letting me take in what was going on. I, I could feel his presence behind me. He was, by, like, behind me. They stand behind you so they can, like, kind of control you. And um, I didn't freak out. I must have been used to them being close to me because when they're close to me, I can listen to their conversation. I can happily join the link, and I can hear eight of them talking. But any more than, like, up to eight, it it goes so fast. It's it's incomprehensible. It's so fast, it's like a silver cord being yanked through your head. It's it's, it's incomprehensible, you know. Um, So I think he waited to me, you know, and he said, um, uh, would you like to get up? If you want to get up, you have to agree to behave. Um, I'm like, yes, I'd agree to behave. And then it all went, like, bright white for a couple of seconds. I'm not quite sure what happened. Next thing I know, I've stood up um, next to this like, bench. And someone said, well, how big is this bench off the floor? Before, I, never know, I could never answer the question. You just silly things like that. And it wasn't until I realised these things were about three – the smaller ones are about three foot tall, and the smaller one and the larger ones are about four four feet tall, about four and a half feet, if that. And um, so this bench must have been about three foot, two foot off the floor. So it's quite low down. You don't realise, you know, um, how low these things were because you're laid on you don't get to see the floor. So this is the first time I've ever kind of stood up. And I had this bitterness taste. Now, because I'm allergic to anaesthetic, anytime, even with like wash, they inject into me, or if they give me morphine at the hospital or relaxing, it tastes like a bitten liquid on my chest, and I can taste it in my chest. And um, I could taste this bitterness, so I knew they'd give me something to sedate me because I recognised the bitterness. And then I felt a bit groggy, and I felt them like an urge to move forward, but it was like a drunkenness. Uh, but I was like slowly dragging my feet, but I could walk, and uh, I wasn't looking forward anymore; I was looking down. So I definitely felt controlled. It was like walking on a grey brittle concrete, but the floor wasn't grey. It was it was weird. It was like a brittle concrete. That's what it felt like, and I never felt anything before. So you have gone from laying down, being numb, and not being able to even blink your eyes, and just been on record to tasting bitterness in your chest and and not having free movement, but looking down and feeling things, things that you, you didn't know. I didn't know if I was hot or if I was cold or anything, what was going on. All I know that I could see I the floor. And then I kind of stopped and I could look up. And I felt a bit more freer, but I felt very intense now. Um, it was a different link. So I knew straight away we were on a different ship. It was a different scent. And I had a one-way communication with the one that knows me because I stopped seeing out my eyes again. So I stopped seeing forward. And I could feel the others um, pushing against the link. So all the others were there, whether I was blocking them, he was blocking them, or it was just easier for him to communicate with me, like one-on-one experiment. Whatever it was, it was definitely an experiment. And I knew I was on a short leash and it was going to be in more ways than one if I did not cooperate. I knew that. That was the message I had. Um, and then he said, yeah. And then it was, I think they were like, um, it was reassurance was given, I think, not to me, to the others, by the one that knows me. I think he was in charge of all this, but he was being watched closely. That's what the understanding that I had. And um, so I started seeing out my eyes again. And when I opened my the eyes, there was a lot more. There was probably about 16 of these little white ones, but they were further back to the right, uh, some distance from me, some distance from me. And so it was definitely, they were all observing me very closely. And I seemed to take a couple of steps forward. And as I did, the the, dim, the 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 brightness dimmed down and I could see it was like black. And all of a sudden, it got a bit lighter. And I could see, do you remember, I'm not sure how old you are, but do you remember in the 1970s, early 80s, they used to have these like um, clear smoked glass ceramic cups. And when you put liquid in them, like coffee or tea or something, they went black. Yeah, it was yeah. Like that. Yeah, it was like that. So these pods looked like that. For a second, I thought they were metal. And then they looked like glass black pods. They looked exactly like that glass in the 70s. And then it was like I was urged to move forward. Now, as I went to move forward, all of a sudden something caught my eye. Now, I couldn't turn around quickly. I could only do very, 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 very small controlled movements. And uh, this thing, one of them was it was a white one, like the one of the little ones, but a slightly a bit smaller. But it looked like, um, like a lot one. And the second I saw him, he did not want to link with me and normally you get you don't get you don't get to you don't get a calmness off him you don't you don't contact him when they look at you you, you know you normally link straight with a thing did not want to look at me and I got a sense it was like angry or it didn't want me there it, it wasn't hostile it just didn't it perceived me as a threat it perceived me as a direct threat, and it, this thing was so. Leading quick, it just ran like a zigzag through the pods, and it stood right in front of me to confront me. It was a few feet away. It did not want to be near me. It was clearly protecting the pods, and everything kind of stopped for a second, and it was communicating. I stopped hearing the one that knows me, so I could see out my eyes again. I, I could see out, my, and they were obviously having a conflict, and um, um, and it was it wasn't taking its eyes off me, but it was definitely communicating with the one that knows me and with the others there. And um, when he started ordering, I could, like, hear the link. I wasn't completely – I could still see up my eyes slightly, like the grey mist, like I was earwigging. I could hear them. And he was ordering him to step back. It was like – he was obviously in control of looking after these pods, but the one that knows me was in control of this experiment, and they just wanted to get on with it. He was ordered to stand back, um, which he did not like, but he did. Um, so he moved back out of my out of my vision. I could not see him in my sight anywhere. I'm not sure where he went, but he went. And then I was urged to move forward nearer these pods. So as I did so, I got a tiny little bit more freedom, only slightly tiny. I was very much still controlled, but I had the ability to like move my body. So like I took a step closer. But as I went to to look at the pods, now, as I went to bend down, I could bend down, but I couldn't like stand up or move, so I had the ability to bend my back. So as I bent down to look at this pod, I see a red light, and everything kind of froze, and I stopped seeing up my eyes, and there was having a little conflap again, and I could hear him in the link talking to the others. And it was no uh, the, the gist of what I saw I was hearing, a one-sided conversation, like a, but with an elastic band being pushed against your head, because you can hear the others like agreeing or disagreeing or having their say. And it was like um he was trying to explain to him, no, she's inquisitive, no, she's not gonna hurt him. Like she was calm, kind of thing. She just wants to have a look, it's inquisitive, and he got the go-ahead to let me touch this pod. Um, so um they were monitoring everything, they were monitoring my hormones, my pheromones. Um, they read your um emotion, uh so. You know, you know, you're angry or you're going to turn angry or you're upset or you get upset. They read that before you even, it starts in your body. So they read that as a direct threat or a signal or a spoken word. So they read your, your emotions before you do. And um, they're alert for it. They look out for it. Um, so um, I'll start seeing out my eyes again. And then as I want to lean over slightly a bit more to touch the pod, I see a baby in there. But just as I was skimming the outside, I hadn't quite touched the pod. I froze again and I started seeing um, uh, at my eyes for a second. And he, and he was talking to me very, very quickly before I was even asking the questions. He was reassuring me because I saw a baby. There was a baby, like a human baby in this. Like, it was like an artificial like glass womb and it was curled up in there and this thing was cold. Now, he knew I was trying to freak out. He's going, no, look, look. He said, see that light? He said, the baby is not cold. The baby is not cold. That's what he kept reiterating. The baby's fine. It's warm inside there. He said, see that red light? He said, that red light is keeping the baby warm. The baby's not cold. He says, it's just the outside. You know, it's just the outside cold. So I then, because the second you really, you, you know, you start getting stressed, they don't like that. So they're there either reassuring you or they're yanking you back to the bed. It's one or the other. So they had a little conflub again. It was agreed that I could continue and touch the pod. Now, he told me then, he said, the baby's fine in there. That's when he told me or showed me an image in my head, they cannot make embryonic fluid to the same standard as a human being, It's artificial embryonic fluid.
2: Well, it's been fascinating talking to you. The book's called The Bonded, The Truth About Alien Abduction. People can get that on Amazon, can't they?
3: They can get, you can read it for free on Kindle Unlimited, actually. So you can get it for free on Kindle Unlimited. You can get it uh, on um, Kindle itself, and you, you can get it for an, on Amazon. It's just 10 quid It's less, less than the price of cigarettes. But I've tried to put it in a I nice offer from dyslexia. This thing's taken me a long time. But it took me two years to upload it. Amazon, uh, my niece contacted Amazon because um, my other books they managed to upload. This thing they could not, even Amazon experts could not upload this book. They couldn't figure out why they could not do it. I sent it to him. They couldn't upload it at their end. They didn't know what was wrong with it. It took two years. In the end, yeah, they put it through. That's why the book is a bigger. They had to put it through as a bigger um, a bigger book, which is why the book is bigger than a normal little handheld book. Um, and that's why. But I, well, I couldn't put pictures in there. I wanted to put all my photographs because I've got loads of photograph, other photographs, which are unbelievable. But if you look on the internet of interviews I've given and talks I've done, like with Kerry Cassidy and that, you can see the pictures or you could go to Birmingham UFA group and sit on the Southampton case and you see all my pictures, photograph and medical evidence on there. It's available freely to anybody. Or a lot of it I release on my Facebook.
2: Yeah, and I've got some pictures as well. You sent me them. Yeah. These uh, little bits and pieces in your body. It's, it's weird. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
3: That's okay. Thank you very much for having me, Simon.
2: And that was an interview with Tina Bird about her book, The Bonded the truth about alien abduction and a great way to support the podcast is to sign up to patreon where you can hear the extended version of this episode which is an extra 20 minutes just go to patreon.com/alienufopodcast if you join the $2 a month tier you get an extended episode every month if you join the $5 a month tier you'll have access to an extended episode every week when you sign up you get access to the episodes in the back catalog and they are ad free and released two days before the free versions. And please check out my other podcast. It's called Past Lives Podcast, and there are over 280 episodes. On the Past Lives Podcast, I look into evidence of an afterlife, such as near death experiences, children with past life memories, mediumship, deathbed visions, and other phenomena. And I also release an extra episode of Past Lives Podcast every Thursday, and that's called Paranormal Stories. My website is pastliveshypnosis.co.uk, and the link is in the show notes. My Instagram is the Past Lives Podcast with an underscore between each word. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or via your favorite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out on any episodes. And thanks for listening. And I wanted to ask you if your family ever noticed anything happening. And you did talk about how your partner was abducted once. But before that, just want to quickly go over this thing from 1978.
3: My brother. Yeah, that was. um, So what happened? I remember that clearly. Clearly remember that. It was, I think it was late summer. These things seem to happen.